You ever wonder what's inside one of those toads hats? I like to think it's another toad just waiting for the chance to come out and strike. Welcome to Triple Click, where we bring the games to you. Today, we are talking about Paper Mario and what the deal is with it. Thanks to the new game, The Origami King, we're all pretty excited, so let's get to it, shall we? I'm Jason Trier. I'm Maddie Myers. And I'm Kirk Hamilton. And here we are for Hello. Here we are. On Once another again. week. Back it's very nice to see both of you. Week. It is lovely to see you both. It is. It really is. It is extremely hot here, just so you know. Yeah. Oh, it's hot here too. It's like 100 degrees in New York City. I just, um, I just turned off the air conditioner so that we could record without air conditioner noise, and I'm going to be slowly growing hotter over the course of the episode so listeners can know that if I get grumpier toward the end of the episode, it's because I'm sweating <laughs> more and more. That's Beautiful. the reason. It's going to be a hot app. Hot, hot app. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a hot app. So it is Maximum Fun Drive, and it's my turn to tell everybody about why that's cool and what that means. <laughs> so Max Fun Drive this year is going on for the next few weeks. It ends in early August, and it is the opportunity for all of the podcasts that are published under the Maximum Fun umbrella, of which, of course, Triple Click is one, uh, to, to kind of reach out to listeners and ask for your support, because Maximum Fun is a listener-supported network and is made possible entirely by listeners, which... As the one person on our show who has completely switched to like listener supported work, I'm all the work yeah. that I do is supported by people is a really, really cool thing. And I am like hugely in favor of this model in general. And it's cool to see it working in a whole lot of different ways. And I think it's really cool that it works for maximum fun as well. Like it's, yeah. it's very Gotta neat get those to burritos, be. Kirk. It's, <laughs> those burritos. it's true. It's true. I, I gotta keep gotta keep the family and burritos. Mainly, Appa eats the burritos now. Mm. We uh, mm-hmm. we just she steals them off of our plates. So um, basically, the way that it works is you can pledge five dollars, ten dollars, twenty dollars. There are people who pledge even more than that. Most people mm-hmm. obviously stay down in the five or ten dollar range. That's where I usually am as well when I support various various things. And we really appreciate everybody who signs up. If you sign up during Maximum Fun Drive to go at $10, you get a really cool pin. Yes. If you go at $20, you get a whole cool like pouch that I'll talk about a little bit later in the show. Yeah. That pin, though, really cool. The pin. The pin <laughs> is the best thing. I am excited to get a pin. Did you know that I'm a backer of our show? I am a, oh, we, oh, I'm a, very kind I'm of a Maximum Fun member, and I support Triple Click. <laughs> so it's just a circle that goes exactly, all the way back to exactly. yourself. And that circle is a really cool Triple Click pin. That's... What the circle That's is. That's true. It's going to get me a pin. It's going to get me a pin at the end of all of this. So far, we've heard that a lot of people have signed up, and we really appreciate it. So anyways, I'll give you the longer pitch later in the episode. But um, thanks so much to everybody who's signed up. And um, also thanks to everybody who liked last week's episode. That wasn't, like, necessarily tied to being a Maximum Fun Drive thing, like the music episode that we did. But that was a lot of fun, and people really liked it. Um, we got a lot of positive feedback. I did see people, like, on the subreddit and on Twitter, like, some people who were like, oh, I just wanted a normal episode. So we're not going to do that all the time or anything. Like, I... You you know, I get why if you just want to hear us talk, that's still the normal show. That was a special thing, but mm-hmm. it was very fun to do. And I'm glad that the people who liked it, liked it. Last thing, we are yes. going to do a stream. We mentioned oh this gosh. at the end of last episode, but Maddie, Jason, and I are going to stream video games together in honor of Max Fun Drive. The details are on our social media, specifically our Twitter, at TripleClickPod. And I'm also going to say those details now, and they'll be in the show notes. The game we will be streaming is... 
Destiny 2, because of course. Of course. What else was it going to be? What else would we possibly stream? Number one Destiny 2 fan cast. What else can we mindlessly play while mainly shooting the shit? <laughs> shooting the shit while shooting the aliens. Um, yes, yeah. The funny exactly. thing is that uh, none of us have played Destiny in months, so this will be really yeah. interesting. I played it the other day, actually. Oh, did you really? played more recently than Jason and I. Then, yeah, I haven't played in months. To anybody who's like a newcomer to this show, <laughs> Jason and I used to be hardcore Destiny addicts. And, and I never was. And Maddie never was. And then we lapsed quite some time ago, more than a year ago, and haven't really played. So this will be interesting. It'll be mm-hmm. like coming home again when your home has been rearranged and all the guns aren't as good as they used to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that is going to be happening on our new Twitch channel, which is Triple Click Pod, of course. And that will be yep. this Friday, July 24th at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. Yes. Again, that is Triple Click Pod on Twitch this Friday, July 24th, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern for some Destiny 2 with the three of us. It's going to be really fun. And we hope it that you come by. Fun. All right, so let's get to it, shall we? For this week, we are doing a What's the Deal With? What's the Deal With? And What's the Deal With is when when we (laughs) try to explain to you what the deal is with a certain topic or game series. Mm -hmm. In this case, we are talking about what is the deal with Paper Mario. Because last Friday, a brand new Paper Mario game came out. Nintendo's big... Big summer release. Not a lot of big Nintendo games this year, but this was the second of them. Yeah, this is it. This is the Nintendo game. Here we yeah, are. they have nothing else announced for, for this year. I, I'm, I'm guessing COVID has put them in a little bit of, yeah, a, of a spot where they yeah. don't want to announce things until they're sure they can happen. But anyway, Paper Mario. Let's talk about Paper Mario, shall we? <laughs> yeah, so man. Before yeah, we even it? get to the new game, which is called Paper Mario the Origami King, just came out for Switch, um, I think we should talk. We should zoom out a little bit and talk about a little bit the history of Paper Mario because Paper Mario is a really interesting series. Um, a lot of video game series over the years stay the same like Call of Duty for example doesn't change very much between iterations <laughs> I mean war war never changes Jason That's war true. never changes war never so changes. Call of Duty also does not change some series change drastically like say Assassin's Creed which turned from like a stealth action game to like a straight up Witcher 3 RPG series um, <laughs> mm-hmm. and some of those series some series that change uh, kind of isolate fans along the way, or at the very least polarize fans along the way. And Paper Mario is one of those series. Because the Paper Mario series started actually really to look at like the origin of this, we go all the way back to 1996 when a game called Super Mario RPG came out. Have either of you guys played this game, Super Mario RPG? I haven't, but I'm familiar. I have played it. Jason, you and I played it together. We did oh, play that's it right, together. You, did. Yes, you enjoyed it, right? <laughs> I remember you you digging it when we played on the Yeah, I mean it kind you of had a forced to enjoy it. Right? You did, right? kind of had some like <laughs> old 90s JRPG bullshit, but yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, definitely an old mm-hmm. game. Um, so that game kind of blew minds when it came out because until then, like the Mario, you think of obviously the Mario platformers, and Mario had done like some sports games, there was Mario Kart and such, but there was nothing like this. And so this was actually Square back then, which was the maker of Final Fantasy, of course. They made this RPG with Mario characters. So it was uh, kind of, it, it was the first game to introduce humor to the Mario series. Like all the writing was really clever. There were a lot of jokes and puns and really funny characters in it. Um, yeah. And it was it was the first like combination of Mario and Nintendo creatures and characters and RPG. So like you're going around as Mario and you jump on a Goomba and instead of just squashing it, you enter turn based combat with the Goomba. And there's like <laughs> items and stats and levels and it's just straight up RPG. It was crazy. Yeah, it kind of introduced the whole idea, which this series and also the Mario and Luigi series explore 
of just like an actual narrative game set in the Mario universe. Like as much as there is a narrative to a traditional Mario game, there kind of isn't. And mm. you just sort of imagine what things are. But these games have dialogue. Like they, you go around and talk to people. There are towns. You get a sense that it isn't just this weird series of kingdoms that Mario has to jump through in pursuit of like saving the princess. It's like a community, a world where like even the villains that you fight are creatures that live in it and they all have inner lives and motivations. And it's kind of a mind blowing idea it that is. totally yeah. shouldn't have worked or like did not necessarily need to work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's totally mind blowing. And then to your point about dialogue, Mario is the only character who doesn't actually talk. Right. And that's He's the, the like a deliberate choice. He's a silent protagonist because they don't don't want Mario to talk. And in mm-hmm. Super Mario RPG, it's actually done to hilarious comedic effect because sometimes he'll have to explain like what has happened to characters. And to do this, he'll do all these pantomiming and you'll just watch him jump around and like <laughs> run around and he'll transform into the characters that he's pantomiming. So like you'll see Mario just like morph into Bowser and be like, Rawr! and then oh, turn right, into Mario right, again. Right. It's very cute. But anyway, <laughs> so this game was beloved. It was awesome. Um, there was even like an optional little boss that was like a Final Fantasy villain that didn't actually exist exist and it was this crazy thing where it was this creature called Colex and you when you fought him the Final Fantasy music that Kirk talked about last week played um, you got like Final Fantasy battle music uh, but uh, it led people to wonder, like, was there really a Colex in a Final Fantasy game? But it turned out it wasn't. It was like a totally fake made up mm. thing for this. But it it surprised a lot of players because back then, um, a lot of the Final Fantasy games hadn't even come out in the US. So like people thought, oh, is this like a reference to one of the Japanese Final Fantasy games we hadn't played? But anyway, I digress. So after Super Mario RPG, Square and Nintendo had kind of a divorce because Square went with PlayStation with Final Fantasy and they went with CD-ROMs while Nintendo stuck with cartridges for the N64. So Nintendo said, hey, Hey, we're going to do our own thing. And they started a game called Paper Mario, which takes Mario and makes him flat like paper. And that is the subject of all sorts of goofs over, over the course of the game. Yeah. And tell me a little bit about this, Jason. Was there a reason? I have, I have only played this most recent Paper Mario game, Origami King, which I love and which we will talk about in a little bit. But why is Mario paper (laughs) there's no explanation no there's never an explanation as far as i can remember for why he's paper it's more just that in this world like you just accept that he's paper and the game plays around with that and like he can fit through things and the original games yeah they 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 made a lot more jokes in the original games about him being paper and flat there's plenty of jokes in the new one there's tons of them there's always tons of jokes yeah like 2d versus 3d like there's a lot of potential there i guess is the idea here that the paper universe is a sort of that we're talking a multiverse theory of Mario worlds and that actually this universe is a slightly skewed different one than the one that we play through in the main games and that is why yeah so that's confirmed in a game that came later in the series called Mario and Luigi Paper Jam ah okay so you're gonna get to that no I won't get to that today actually because <laughs> oh, okay. that's, that's in a lengthy multi-part be in part documentary of this, series of yes. this ongoing series <laughs> a little bit more context is that after Paper Mario another series came along which was called Mario and Luigi Luigi, which was the handheld RPG yes, series, so that right. came to Game Boy, Game Boy Advance, I believe was the was the first. Yeah, the first one was Game Boy Advance, Mario and Luigi Superstar mm-hmm. Saga, and then DS and 3DS. And so those games um, were a totally different world. And then Mario and Luigi Paper Jam stuck them both together. That was like the multiverse colliding because you have Mario in 
and Luigi, and then you also have Paper Mario joining the fray, and like they interact, and all sorts of hijinks ensue from there. But yes, in this universe, Paper Mario is just paper. All the characters in in a lot of the games, all the characters are just paper, and everybody just accepts that. Like that's the universe that they live in, in which they mm-hmm. are paper. Anyway, this first Paper Mario, and then the second one, Paper Mario: The Thousand Year Door, which came <laughs> which came out for to for the GameCube in two thousand four. Those were both traditional RPGs. Thousand Year Door, especially, is beloved because it had this fantastic story and a great cast of characters. And so, by traditional RPG, do you mean you mean you have like an inventory and party members and an overworld and random encounters? and levels? Most importantly, levels are the big thing that mm-hmm. that kind of went away over time. Um, but yeah, companions are a big thing because one of the things that people loved so much about Super Mario RPG is you could have all these great companions. Gino and Mallow were the two new ones they added, and they were beloved. But also, Princess Peach could join you, and Bowser could join you. The first time that we ever saw Bowser as like an ally in in battle and stuff, so that was pretty cool. And then yeah, so Paper Mario and Thousand your door took this concept and like evolved it further then in 2007 we got a a weird game called super paper mario i don't know if you guys remember this but actually do you guys remember i'm sure the indie game fez and the concept of of morphing from like two-dimensional to 3d and you kind of like revolve the world around so Super Mar- Paper Mario actually came out with this mechanic before Fez even did. And mm. this was the one I played by the way. And as Paper Mario, you could <laughs> rotate the world from 2D to 3D and like find secrets and do all sorts of crazy like mind warping things. Maddie, did you like this game when you played it? I actually did and it is a game that Paper Mario fans dislike. Am I right about that? I liked it because I didn't know any better any which right. way and I, I remember thinking that the 2D and 3D mechanics were really fun I mean this was 2007 so I was still in college I, w- I was an intern at the Phoenix as I recall so I was not nice. a professional game critic yet but I was like mm. imagining that someday I would be You're and on I, the I think path. I like wrote some bad blog posts about this that were probably never published anywhere that's um, how you break into video game journalism <laughs> you, you know I, I was an yep. unpaid intern it's fine it was dubiously ethical but the main thing I remember about this game was that there was a lot of really fun Princess Peach stuff mm-hmm. in there. Um, well, I you'd remember play as her in interval characters. There would be like intermissions. You'd play as her, which is cool in and of itself, especially for a Mario game. Although it's certainly, it's not the first time you can play mm-hmm. as Peach in a game, but I remember enjoying that aspect of it. And I remember there was also a moment, and I this was... We're talking 2007, so I'm sure I'm misremembering this scene with Peach, but my memory of it was that she gets kidnapped at some point by some type of villainous toad character or whatever, and you, the player, get to choose a series of dialogue options for her, and I remember choosing the ones where she's playing along with her captor, and at the time being annoyed by it and being like, oh, I feel like I have to choose these because I, I want Peach to be able to get out of here. Like, this sucks so bad that I have to choose these options, mm-hmm. but I guess I don't know what else to do. And if you do that, Peach will throw a fit and, like, break the fourth wall and be like, I don't want to do this anymore. And, like, it's, like, the most personality Peach ever has although I've always argued that like the Super <laughs> Smash Brothers Peach with the frying pan is like the true version the of true Peach, Peach in my eyes <laughs> but I mean this version of Peach also has that same energy so like clearly this is the version of Peach that I would enjoy if I were to actually right, go right. back and play these games I'd probably love her so 
shout out to Peach in this. <laughs> the frying pan comes from Super Mario RPG. Yeah, so I this should play is, it clearly. <laughs> well, so this this Peach is the same as the Smash Brothers. It's the lineage of the Paper Mario Super ah, Mario RPG. I like this. So that's why like you like this. her so much. It's like if we're talking about the multiverse, like this is the Peach, right? The, the right. Spunky this is the Peach. Version, let's call her. The let's good call Peach. Her. Yeah. Or like um, like the snarky Peach who like doesn't take peach. shit from anybody, which in my mind is the best the best version. I feel of like her. there's a little bit of that in a lot of different versions of Peach, right? I'm thinking mm-hmm. of the end of Super Mario Odyssey. There like, should there's, be. There's I mean, kind of like Peach tends to stick up for herself in various ways, despite always right, being right. such a trope. Uh, yeah, and I mean Mario Odyssey is great. We've talked about that on yes, the show yes, as well. Yes, we sure have. But, yeah. but back to you, Jason. <laughs> so, to your point earlier about people not liking it, so yes. this was a game that done did away with turn-based battles, and it just became a platformer again, which was kind of weird. You still had levels. Right. So, can you restate the name of this one? I'm trying to keep track of this for listeners. This is Super Paper Mario, which came out mm-hmm. for the Wii in 2007, and so got this it. got rid of turn-based combat, um, which was very weird the time and instead you would just jump on enemies a bunch of times and knock their hit points down so it would still have that level of rpg uh that rpg element specifically like hit points and you still have mm-hmm. hit points unlike a, a traditional mario game where you just like have a power sure. up or you don't um but it it became a platformer which was strange and not a, everybody loved that even though it still had a lot of things you would love about a paper mario game which is like going to new worlds and interesting mm-hmm. characters and hilarious dialogue one of the, the yeah. kind of overarching themes is that every one of these games is hilarious and just mm-hmm. written so well okay so then we moved to 2012 when a game called paper mario sticker star came out for the 3ds this was kind of like this is this is i would say the uh the low point for the series this is a game that really experimented with like adventure game trial and error mechanics and like every Mm -hmm. battle you had to use these cards to use abilities and uh they were all finite and then to beat bosses you had to have certain cards that would like weaken them but sometimes you might even not even have a card at that point in the game and there was trial and error involved so like you you could wind up using your most valuable cards when you didn't actually need them and wasting them and it was all just kind of a mess it was a mess of a design it was like the rare huge miss from nintendo in terms of like design that was inelegant and clunky and not fun to play so my memory of this is that the next year was the first year i would play a game like this which is that was when mario and luigi dream team came out also Mm. on the 3ds and i really liked that game and thought that it was cool, but I also didn't understand even really the distinction between Paper Mario and Mario and Luigi because it seemed odd that there were two Nintendo series that were both exploring very similar territory in terms of the story and the tone. Like, it was also very funny and lots of puns, and you walked around and talked to characters, and it was kind Mm -hmm. of an RPG. And, like, it just seemed kind of weird, though I gather that at some point here, Alpha Dream declared bankruptcy and shut down the studio that made Mario and Luigi. Yeah, that's much later. But Dream Team, so Dream Team is a straight-up RPG. The Mario and Luigi series haven't diverged from like their core. They're all RPGs, turn-based combat levels, stats, equipment. Um, they all have different gimmicks. So Paper Mario is more experimental. But Paper Mario and Sticker Star specifically is just totally out there, like basically an adventure game is the best way to think of it. So like in Paper Mario Sticker Star, you're fighting battles, but instead of actually like you don't get anything from the battles. And this is one of the things that really drove people crazy is because you didn't get experience or gold or anything, all you would get was more cards and you would wind up wasting more cards than you actually got in a battle it became more it made more sense to just avoid battles entirely because you weren't there was no incentive to actually fight them and it was it just made for an unpleasant playing experience that just sounds like it wasn't a good game but would nintendo's rationale then for making the paper mario series less rpg-ish be that because mario and luigi exists and is this game 
they now have room to experiment with the other series. Otherwise, the series just become redundant and you're getting two Mario and Luigi RPGs like right. every other year. That at least kind of makes sense, I guess. It could be. I mean, at first, the distinction with them was that Mario and Luigi was on handheld and Paper Mario was on console. I thought you were going to say the distinction right. was that Paper Mario is made of paper. Yes, <laughs> paper that's Mario. also an important distinction. Paper Luigi, that's, that's ridiculous. Right. I mean, what, what were we even saying? And Luigi <laughs> is always, there's always like, in that series, I know we're not talking about that series, but there's Luigi is always there and there's always some mechanic. Like in Dream Team, Luigi mm-hmm. goes to sleep and Mario goes like inner space inside him and yeah. like fights within his dreams inception style and like that's well so in in those games Luigi's always a party member in these games Luigi right. is always off on his own adventure that you like hear about hilariously like yes. once in a while and he comes back and you're, and he's like oh Mario you'll never believe what just happened mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. Thousand Year Door there's it's particularly brilliant the way it's constructed because he'll just go off on these giant tangents talking about these epic adventures he had <laughs> and you'll just hear about them every chapter it's a new one like a new time here from him That's anyway funny. so then we get to paper mario color splash was which was 2016 and i actually didn't play this one so i don't know a lot about it but from what i've heard it was very similar to sicker star and that the writing was hilarious but the combat was like very trial and error like not as fun as as it used to be back in the day and now we get to today so paper mario the origami king came out last week and it doesn't really return to form it just does things differently again so, so what is form <laughs> I guess by form, I just mean the original too. And so kind of like the battle among fans is this whole tradition versus innovation thing. And everybody, a lot of fans, I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of fans have wanted the series to go back to Thousand Year Door because Thousand Year Door is still the most critically acclaimed, the most beloved of all of these games. It was fantastic. And so a lot of fans are like, why can't we have that If again? people wanted to play Thousand Year Door now... How would they play Thousand Year Door? It might be in the Wii, Wii shop. It might be in the Wii U shop. I don't know. But but unless you have a GameCube, there isn't an easy way to play it now. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, so let's get to today's game, the new game that just came out, because I played a bunch of Yeah, I want to talk about Origami King. Yeah, so Paper Mario the Origami King, still um, very much... Uh, well, so we still have turn-based battles, still have hilarious dialogue, still have hit points... Still no levels, so it's carrying on that tradition, no level ups. Um, and the battles themselves are very interesting because this time around, basically the way each battle unfolds is you find an, you get into an encounter with an enemy, you enter a separate screen as if you're a turn-based battle, and then you see a series of concentric rings. It almost looks like a dartboard on the screen. And the enemies will be placed all across the, the, the rings. And you have to rotate the rings to arrange the enemies in specific lineups so you can hit them with your jumps or with your hammers. And you have a limited amount of time and a limited number of moves in which to do this. So basically, every battle is like a little puzzle. Um, some of them can get pretty repetitive, but as you go on, like some of them can actually be super tough and like require a lot of brain bending to do. And then boss battles are another thing entirely, a whole another mechanic entirely. But the the main point that I'm making here is this is yet another wacky, wild, out there experiment as opposed to like turn-based combat the way that that fans might have wanted it to be the old school like level up you get stronger every level etc etc so kirk you've been playing a couple hours i've been playing longer than you but i'm curious to hear your thoughts first um i love this game i think it's great so nintendo sent me a code and it's it's interesting coming to a series like this and i felt this way about um dream team as well where i knew that there was a lot of history and i knew people had you know feelings about it because i read chris kohler's review at kotaku and it was clear reading it you know he knows nintendo's super cold kind of like you do jason he's like a mario expert yeah right and so reading the review i was like this review reads to me like 
the take of someone who deeply understands all of the various like inner conflicts mm-hmm. between each game and the things that fans <laughs> wanted and didn't want. And like that was it was interesting in that way reading it, but I was like, I wonder what I'll think of this game just playing it. And just playing it with no expectations or desire for it to be a turn-based game. Frankly, I don't need another turn-based like RPG. There's a billion of them. Like this mm-hmm. game is weird. Like the combat yep. in it is weird. And I gather that's kind of the weakest part. It's at least the thing I've found maybe the least interesting in the game so far. But the- just because it gets so repetitive. After yeah, a while, it's and it's like not very hard, and that's fine. That's not really why I'm playing it. Oh, it gets hard. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've heard, heard that sometimes really it gets challenging. <laughs> um, it, it what I like about it is just that it's hilarious. The music is great. Um, the vibe is really funny. You get to, I mean, this is a game where you get to hit Toad with a hammer just over and over and over again. Like, there's a central <laughs> mechanic of collecting Toads, and every time you need to save Toad, you have to, like, somehow or other kind of hit Toad. And I'm down with that because Toad is pretty annoying. <laughs> well, so they're Toads. They're like hundreds of Toads, like, hidden in places throughout the world. Yeah, they're like and the that's one of the side games you find. like to go around and collect them. And then every time you collect one, or every time you rescue one, they have some hilarious, like, off and fourth wall breaking like the guy uh one of the i think there's there's a couple of people who like consistently write these paper mario games and whatever nintendo is paying them should be doubled because they're very funny they're just doing such good work so the narrative premise of this game is that Mario and Luigi are going to uh, Peach's Castle for a party. You'll be shocked to hear. And then it doesn't go well. And that's because <laughs> wow, there's an origami what? festival happening. And, like, the origami king shows up, who is this, like, jerk with an emo haircut. <laughs> like, little origami dude. And he starts yeah. folding everybody into origami. And then there is now a distinction in this paper kingdom where the enemies are all origami-folded versions of themselves. <laughs> and the good guys are flat paper. And so you can now distinguish. You'll meet Goombas who are flat paper. And they'll be like, oh, Mario, like, oh, man, now you probably, like, smashed a bunch of my friends. But I'm going to work with you right now because this origami <laughs> thing is a problem. And that's sort of the narrative. Meanwhile, you walk around. This really reminds me of Tearaway, actually, the uh, Vita and PS4 game, uh, Media Molecules game, which is a cool game, and I didn't realize, probably owes more to Paper Mario than I had realized playing it. I don't know if this was always a mechanic, but in this game, you go around collecting confetti, and it's one of the just, this game is so pleasing to play in this physical way. Like, you have a hammer, you can hit stuff with it, like I mentioned, you can hit toads, you can also hit trees, and when you hit a tree, like, confetti, colorful scraps of paper will just fall from it. And then you just run around and, like, automatically hoover them up, and it's so pleasing in that Nintendo way. It just feels really nice to play. It's so colorful, there's great music playing, and then you're just picking up confetti, and then you're kind of fixing the world. There's, like, ripped out sections of this paper world, and you have to throw confetti onto them and then fix it. And just doing that, I mean, picking up confetti and then throwing it on the ground and having it (laughs) fill in holes is very satisfying, like, in a kind of basic kind of gamer way. How far are you in the game, Kirk? I uh, I'm like in Toad Town, I guess. So I fought the first big Goomba. Okay, so very early. Okay, yeah, I'm, so I'm very so very early. Okay, so you haven't even gotten to like the premise of the game, the streamers, right? Like you haven't started the streamers. This. Well, I'm assuming that you have to like cut each of those streamers because they took the castle away. But no. yeah, so I'm very curious to hear your take on it, like in a few hours, since you've like gotten further and gotten into mm-hmm. like the the bulk of the game. Um, but yeah, no, it's delightful. I love it. Also, um, I I'm of two minds because part of me loves the Thousand Year Door. Like that game is amazing, and it's amazing because, or in large part, because of all the companions you get and like the way that it escalates combat. And and I should say, by the way, when I talk about the turn based combat in these games, all of these games have some sort 
sort of gimmick to their turn-based combat. Usually it's like the timed hits, like sort of like the way that Paper Mario or the Origami King has, where you have to press A at a certain time when you're jumping on, on enemies. So all these game, games have some sort of element like that, even the RPGs with like the traditional RPGs. They still had like the timed hit stuff. But um, but yeah, I, I really love that game. But on the other hand, I'm all for like Nintendo taking risks and innovating um, any game developers, like trying crazy new things and seeing what sticks. And yeah. Sickerstar didn't stick for me, although that game was so charming and hilarious that like I, I fell for it regardless, despite all the frustrating design decisions. But this game is really clicking for me, and I'm really enjoying it. Um, the problem is that it's really, really long, from what I can tell so far, and the battles can get pretty repetitive, which is kind of like an, an overall problem with a lot of games. But um, mm. as they feel especially, it's especially compounded with this one because you have to go through a lot of different actions. You can't just like mash the A button. So you'll see the same sort of patterns start to appear and you'll be like okay doing this again like pressing this rotating the circle okay now I also have to jump on the enemies yeah. or hit them with a hammer and it just takes a long time so it can feel pretty tedious but the charm and the dialogue and the hilarity of it all kind of makes up for that and the and music I really like to shout out the music I mean the sequence where yeah. you wake up this old tree and he becomes young <laughs> okay. again and yeah. like his yeah, backup yeah. singers all start singing and the whole world comes to life and all this music starts playing I mean so good. I just walked over a solfege bridge where it's like what is it? It's like do re mi fa so la don't yep. mind me and like every time you go over it it's like and then it'll do like solfege in reverse and it actually plays the notes when you walk over it. There's all this wonderful little Nintendo detail stuff in this game. Just yeah I was curious about the composers it looks like it's a bunch of composers according to yeah, Wikipedia because um, the composer for Mario and Luigi is the legendary um, Yokoshi Mamora who just mm-hmm. does all sorts of incredible stuff. Um, I remember feeling that way about Dream Team 2 where it was so, I never finished it. I played a lot. I remember playing like 30 hours or something and I was on some mountain I, I don't know how close I was to the end honestly because it just kept going and going and going and I was like okay I these games tend to drag yeah that's the yeah. thing is like they, they tend to be a little bit too long um, but yeah no I'm really enjoying it and if people are wondering like oh should I play this I think it's it's a game that I certainly recommend from what I've played so far especially if you just like clever writing and then what I was going right. to say before was that it's actually surprised me with like how poignant it can be like there there's a scene that I just watched a couple hours ago in terms of game time that like was actually emotionally effective um, hmm. almost more than The Last of Us 2 was for me but we'll get to that <laughs> um, like in it, I didn't think that I would care so much about like a, a crazy emotional thing that happened in a game that's like a joke that's like entirely pa- mm-hmm. like making fun of everything and, and just silly stuff like smashing toads with hammers like I didn't think I would mm-hmm. actually care about something that happened sometimes but, those are the things I that did. sneak up on you though, exactly you know? yeah. the games that yeah. don't take themselves too seriously can also like hit you with a gun punch an emotional gun punch um, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I, I am enjoying this game and recommend it. Maddie, nice. you should check it out. I should. It sounds like I would enjoy it for the same reason I enjoyed Super Paper Mario because I have no preconceived right. notions about what it would be and I don't have some long history with this series so mm-hmm. I could just enjoy it the way Kirk is, which is exactly. ideal. Right, it's just exactly. like an aesthetically delightful game. It's just a cool game, just a cool Mario game, yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, this Toad says, why don't we take a break and then we will back with one more Toad. <laughs> Okay, Jason, Maddie, this is normally where we put promos for other Max Fun shows, but of course, <laughs> instead, because Max Fun Drive is going on, we are going to talk a little bit more about Max Fun Drive, and I'm going to read an email we got from a listener. Woo-hoo. This is from Marcus, who wrote, 
I just recently got into listening to podcasts due to both the pandemic and my new baby, both things that have led to greater degrees of social isolation. I tried out a number of game-focused shows before I found yours, and I appreciate your experiences, insights, opinions, and ability to cover a topic in under two hours. <laughs> in honor of your crew and the Max Fun Drive, I have tripled my monthly donation. Good work. Aww. So that rules. Thanks so much, Marcus. That's, That's so kind. Extremely so kind of you, and we appreciate it. And I would like to say, just on what Marcus is saying, that I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I kind of find that social thing pretty helpful right now. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. just in that, you know, I, I think everybody... Hearing people talk. Yeah, hearing yeah. people talk and hang out. And um, I actually also value talking to the two of you <laughs> each week. <laughs> Like, I, there's always, because well, we work on the show, there's like a lot of work that goes into this show, and we we're planning, and we're doing a lot of DMing, just being like, what should we talk about, blah, blah, blah. But then mm-hmm. when we actually get ready to record the show, it's just nice to actually talk. Like, uh, I always fun. come away from recording sessions, maybe I'm being really cheesy right now, but I always come away from recording sessions being like, well, that was really fun. Like, it was fun to talk to my friends, Maddie and Jason, yeah. for oh, we had yeah, such a good is. conversation. So, um, so really I get fun. that out of this show, and because people support us making it, we get to do that as well. So, it's nice to hear that our conversations are also helpful for listeners. So if you sign up for Max Fun Drive, you can get some rewards. I'm going to detail those rewards right now. We already mentioned the pin. The pin is very cool. That's if you go to $10 a month. If you go to $20 a month or more, you get the special Max Fun gift. It is a game pack this year, which is fitting since it's TurboClick's first Max right. Fun Drive. Mm-hmm. Celebrating us. Did it, all really. Really, it really is celebrating <laughs> us. You get a custom dice set and a custom deck of playing cards with Max Fun designs on them. There's like little Easter eggs for each show. So, mm-hmm. As much as we want you to support Triple Click, also there's like a lot of good shows on Max Fun, and the oh, more yeah. of them you listen to, the more you'll appreciate that deck of cards. You yes. could even get it, and then if you get into Max Fun shows like other shows down the road, you'll be like, oh, that's what that joke on the Jack of Diamonds was about. Like it was this, <laughs> it was this card, it was this, this show's <laughs> joke. So, anyways, um, you can find out more about how to do all of this, of course, at maximumfun.org/join. And there is one other new feature that they've just added. They were kind of troubleshooting this for a while, and they just got it up and working. And this is called boosting. So (laughs) if you're already a supporter and you want to help us just a little bit more, which would be awesome, you don't, and you know, you're like, well, I want to help a little bit more, but I I don't want to jump to the next tier. Yeah, like maybe you can't go all the way from 20 to 35, for example, or or the specific tiers that are listed. Right. It used to be you had to stick to the tiers. Now you can just like boost your level a little bit if you just want to help out a little bit more. That would be super cool. And if you do that, or if you sign up it's just really above and beyond and we really appreciate it and of yeah. course if you can't donate then that's totally fine like yes yeah, it's it's, we're in the middle of pandemic but um do us a favor do us a solid and share the show with your friends if you like it just tell everybody you know put it on your social media feed just mm-hmm. tell your buds go spam people on being like hey <laughs> listen to triple click or else <laughs> what we want is for you to lose friends we want you to lose all of your friends alienate your... everyone you know by talking yes. only about triple click through your triple yes. click zealotry <laughs> That's what we're really looking for. No, but that is very true. And of course, we know that a lot of people are in like uncertain times right now. We are yes, too. Of course. So yeah. we appreciate your support. And also, any way that that support takes shape, we appreciate it. So yeah, thanks everybody. And uh, one more time, MaximumFun.org slash join. And we are back. Kirk, Maddie, it is time, as always, for one more toad. Kirk, what is your <laughs> one more toad of this week? 
So, Jason, my one more toad this week is actually brought to you by Mr. Jason Schreier himself. Oh, my God. It is a Bloomberg Business Week article. <laughs> cool, I read this, yeah. By Mr. Jason Schreier that we have all read about Ubisoft. And it is a pretty galling and um, terrible tale of, uh, of a lot of, of bad behavior at Ubisoft at this massive video game publisher that has been trickling out on Twitter for quite a while. Um, trickling is maybe the wrong word. Exploding on Twitter is maybe yeah. a, little more, a little more accurate. This is definitely something that has been happening and has been in the consciousness. And also been reported by some sites, Kotaku. Ethan at yes. Kotaku had a really good mm-hmm. article about it. Yeah, yeah. Ethan, Ethan Gatch wrote a story. Um, yeah. yep. And a big shout out to the French journalist at Liberation, the French mm-hmm. newspaper, um, among others who Mediarama was another one who have mm-hmm. just really just done some incredible reporting on this stuff. So yeah, yeah. this is a, this is a story that we have talked about on the show a couple episodes ago, just this the broader Me Too movement happening in games or like the latest movement in the kind of ongoing the symphony of yeah. of Me Too in gaming that is apparently necessary. And yeah, it definitely followed that trajectory of sort of social media to more reporting to more reporting. Jason, I'd say your piece is pretty comprehensive. It covers a whole lot of the people who were named on Twitter and has some pretty terrible stories. Uh, geez, one of the stories is about uh, Maxime Belland, who's a guy who I interviewed at Kotaku. Like, this is one of the yeah. people where Wild. you go to these press events and you talk to someone and he just seems like this guy who's like the creative director of a game. Yeah, and then no later, idea. you hear these horrible stories. And it's just, I guess I bring it up because... I feel like we're all learning how to navigate this tricky um, sort of just tension that is increasingly clear as we learn more about bad workplace practices at game development studios. This one feels a little different to me in part because I have such a familiarity with Ubisoft games. I've been playing so many of their games for so many years. I really like a lot of their games. And partly because your story has these specific stories of the ways that the games were changed because of the behavior of these men at the top. Do you want to specify a little bit for people who haven't read this? Yeah, so I'll break a couple of them down. And they're just the ones that struck me because it's a series I'm very familiar with. And this is the Assassin's Creed series. So this guy at the top, how do you pronounce his last name? Hasquo? Serge Hasquet. Serge Hasquet, who is like the creative big cheese at Ubisoft for basically since time immemorial. He's been there forever and is the person who green lights or red lights any creative decision basically in any game. And because of him, essentially based on your reporting, Jason, there were going to be female leads in several of the Assassin's Creed games that I've really liked. And as a result of his feedback, in part, and I'm sure other people's feedback as well, are people doing what they think. Him and the marketing department, yeah. important to know. That was just diminished and diminished and diminished, which mm-hmm. is wild. Specifically, Aya was meant to take over as the lead of Assassin's Creed Origins, which is yeah. wild, having reviewed that game. There's such a weird thing that happens halfway through that game know, where... Yeah. It splits up, and Aya seems like she's about to become the main character, but then she yeah. kind of doesn't. <laughs> yep. And there's like this playable sequence where you play as her, and I was like, mm-hmm. she's always dressed as an assassin, and she's a rad character. And I kept being like, oh, and we're gonna. She seems she has the personality of oh, the right, assassin right. so much more than Bayek does. Yes. I love Bayek as a character, but she has the cold-blooded killer mentality mm-hmm. that you would think would be the yes. protagonist's mentality. Yeah. So Bayek was supposed to die, and then Aya was supposed right. to take over, which makes so much more and sense. And I, I think back when I was reviewing that game because it was before any had played it and I kept thinking this dude is going to die and Aya is going to take over and then it just kind of didn't quite happen and it so makes sense that just her role got reduced and reduced and reduced until you had these weird playable sections as her so that's one example another is the way that Jacob Fry became the dominant character in Assassin's Creed Syndicate and Mm -hmm. Evie Fry her role in the story was reduced which again you can split 
between the two of them. Evie Fry is a rad character and Jacob Fry kind of sucks. And I've always felt that way. And now looking at it, I'm like, oh, like this game that I still think is an underrated game, like Syndicate, I really, really like. I like it because of Evie Fry. She's so freaking yeah. cool. It's a great performance. She's a great character. She could have been a more major character. And then, of course, the biggest one is that Cassandra was meant to be the only playable character right? in AC Odyssey. Which also feels correct to me. Yes, because she's like the good character. Like she's like her brother's fine, I guess. But like, what's the same Alexios? But no, yes. it's Cassandra's game. And yeah. it just it really, I don't know, it's made me feel much more conflicted about all of these games. Looking back on them, I'm like, man, these all could have been so much better. And it's when you're playing a game and then you're realizing, oh, this art that I'm experiencing, you're playing compromised art that was compromised for the same reason that all of these people were hurt. So it's like across right. the board, this just sucks. And I mm. think that that I don't know. I think that's tough to deal with. Like, that's really something that I'm going to be chewing on for a long time. Yeah, that's yeah. an interesting point. And it's something that we'll certainly have to talk about when we're, as we're covering games. I'm, I've never been really in favor of, like, boycotting a game because of the work practices around it. But uh, all three of us are incredibly excited for Assassin's Creed Valhalla. I know, but in general, I've been feeling I feel like, weird about it for weeks now. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm I agree. I'm sure you guys are too. Definitely. It's, but in general, I feel like it's these games are made by thousands of people, most of whom of are good people who did who are proud of their work and want it to be talked about. Absolutely. And, um, and I still feel that way, like about Assassin's Creed. It's just that same. seeing all these ways that the game itself was fucked up because of these same shitty dudes that were also like mistreating people. It, it sucks. <laughs> like it yeah. really yeah. sucks. It super sucks. So two things here. And by the way, to your point, Kirk, um, it's not a lot of that came from the marketing department within Ubisoft Paris as well. So it's not just like uh, that stuff wasn't one person's decision. But the one person, Serge, he is certainly I mean, so so two points I want to make. One is that as far as like the overall story, the kind of crux of my story and the takeaway that I certainly had while I was reporting it is that all of these things everybody at Ubisoft knew about for years and years and years. Like Tommy Francois, who was one of the guys who's been named mm-hmm. in the most stories. Mm-hmm. Everybody at the Ubisoft Paris office knew about his behavior, according to a lot of the people that I spoke to. Um, so any sort of like, I mean, that says a lot of different things about the way that Ubisoft has or hasn't tried to deal with it. Um, and I mean, figuring out like, like over the past few weeks, a lot of these stories have come out and people have been like, oh my God, like people are horrified. And then it's even more horrifying when you realize that like people all knew about it and they just like were either complacent or let it happen. And man, a lot of, a lot of things that unravel there. But it kind of speaks to the power of a systemic problem to stay in place. I mean, we all know about problems in America, right? <laughs> like, and, yeah, we, and those continue. Like, they're, you feel kind of powerless a lot of the well, time. Well, eventually they become normalized. And I got an interesting yeah. email today from someone uh, who was like, yeah, we just like, we you kind of accept it just being here. You're just like, oh, yeah, it's like these people are just going to behave that way and that just becomes part of it just becomes part of the DNA and yeah that Mm -hmm. is something that like all of us I think could watch out for in our own lives and workplaces is like what are the things that you've kind of normalized and internalized that are actually when you Mm -hmm. zoom out and think about them are kind of screwed up but the other thing I wanted to talk about and I think this is kind of a broader point is Serge himself had such a position of power at this company and the reason he did is because of merit or perceived merit which is that he was the person who was perceived as like creating all these blockbuster hits the Assassin's Creed he like was overseeing all of these games, the Assassin's Creed's and Far Cry's and Watch Dogs of the world, overseeing the open world formula that worked so well for Ubisoft and obviously became well-trod and like hackneyed over time. But I think that when you put anyone in this position of being the ultimate authority for a company like that, like having that much power, like 
things are going to go wrong. It just feels like nobody should have the power to be like the one person at the company mm. who's deciding what games live and what games die. And it's yeah. just like, it's like king making. And I think any structure that involves one person at the top having to go around and review games and approve or deny of them is, is always going to cause all sorts of problems for all sorts of yeah. reasons. In addition to like stifling creativity, which is something that I hopefully plan to report on a little bit more about like the, the actual stifled creativity aspect of this right. whole thing. Um, yeah. All right, Maddie, what is your one more thing? One more toad, sorry. <laughs> Stick with the bit. Maddie, what is your one more toad? My one more toad is that I have been playing the first Halo game. I also played a little bit of Destiny 2. And, you know, I, I talked about talking, playing the Master Chief Collection like way back in the split screen days, I think. I talked about how I was playing Halo Reach like back mm-hmm. in December. And I was like, oh, it's going to be so yep. cool to go back and replay all the Halos. Have you guys played Halo? Did you play it at the time or at any other point? Oh, since? I played it at the time. I played the whole game in co-op with my friend Sam back in college. And I Best was... way to play. <laughs> I was like already into PC first-person shooters. Like, I, right. I was not impressed, really, because I was like, I've done this. But it was cool to play it on a console, and the split screen was fun. I've only played Halo multiplayer, which will become an interesting conversation topic later this year when Infinite comes out, because I've never played Mm. a Halo single-player campaign. Right, whereas I've played all of them. Um, Mm. I think I missed Halo 4. I didn't finish 4. Yeah, I've played all the other ones. You played ODST, right? I did. Because I never played that one. ODST. Um, Mm. So anyway, I've decided to go back and play Halo 1, and uh, you know, (laughs) I... It's not great. So I, I'm really yeah. I'm really struggling with this one because I'm like, is this just that Halo was always like this? It's so repetitious. And mm-hmm. so I've kind of entered this headspace with it where it reminds me a little bit of how I've talked many times on this show about how I watch sitcoms when I'm falling asleep or like while mm-hmm. I'm doing other things, I'll like put mm-hmm. on a sitcom in the background and you're not really paying attention to it. That is what Halo 1 is like for me. But it's like the sitcom of games. Like you're just going through an infinite hallway or you're like driving yep. a warthog through an infinite green grassy knoll. And mm-hmm. like you're just shooting a million of the same alien just forever and ever. And it is wild to me that games used to be like this and we accepted it. Like it is it is wild how many of the exact uh-huh. same uh-huh. alien you shoot in Halo. Well, your mind is so blown by so by like the graphics yes, and the way it that's feels what to it is. play. It is, and I thought the cutscenes were really cool. Well, also the fact that it was like this was the first console shooter, right? Like this is yes. the first time they did a shooter with with joysticks, and so that already blew people's minds. Well, I mean, Goldeneye, but oh, right, Goldeneye. That was yeah. The the learning the twin stick controls, the like twin all stick. of that was was. I remember being a big learning curve for me and being like super stubborn and being like, I'm going to have to learn how to do this. And I have like this whole sense memory of learning that. And I associate that with Halo and the weird floaty Halo jump. Like even that I'm like, this jump might suck ass, but like we've just accepted that it's part of Halo now. And so now it's in <laughs> destiny for heck's sake. We have these floaty jumps. <laughs> jump in destiny is better. But Halo yeah. alikes um, because, because it was in Halo. And so jumps need to be floaty in space and playing it again though. It's not, nothing happens in this game so i I don't know i'm gonna keep going i guess but i might just skip ahead to halo 3 because like everybody on the halo subreddit has just been like posting totally sick gifs of like replaying other halo games and i'm like maybe i just shouldn't have started with one because everybody's (laughs) amped about halo infinite and i kind of am but i i mostly am just like i just want to feel what it was like to like halo and i don't know which halo to play in order to fully remember that 
I definitely you know? remember feeling that way even when it came out when I played it, which was probably like a, maybe a year later. It was like 2001 or two or something mm-hmm. when I played it. And But like Half-Life had come out a few years right. before that. And Half-Life is like on a completely other level as a single player shooter. Like it's every level is interesting. And there's I mean, I guess there's like some repetitive stuff that feels old fashioned now, but it basically holds up. Mm-hmm. And when you play Halo, right, you're like, are you doing like the cartographer levels? There are these levels where you're just literally in a dark hallway. Yep. And you just keep going. <laughs> And I remember I was playing with my friends, so it was fun because we were like drinking beer and talking. Yeah, you just shoot the shit with your friend. Yeah. But it was just over and over, just the flood, <laughs> like just coming at us. And I was like, this has been going on forever. Like, what is, when is something going to happen in this game? Nothing really does happen, mm-hmm. is the thing. Uh, right. I, I don't think anything really happens. But, you know, you put on a podcast and you just, right. you just shoot some aliens. <laughs> you just watch your video game sitcom. I get it. That makes sense. Yeah. Oh, anyway, man. that's what's up with me. What have you been doing, Jason? So, my, one more toad is the last of us part two so um okay so first of all we are going to be doing a massive spoiler beans cast um that i believe will be published this coming monday for max fun members so if you are a member you will get that in your feed but i did want to talk about it a little bit for all subscribers not just members um Mm -hmm. because i know people are wondering now that all three (laughs) of us have finished it you guys have both talked Mm -hmm. about your final thoughts i will talk about my final thoughts no spoilers coming here um but kind of overall man I don't know why this is controversial to say, but that game is way too long. And <laughs> I actually think that <laughs> I actually think it really detracted from my enjoyment of the game. And I think I would have liked it a lot more if it wasn't mm-hmm. so friggin' long. It got to the point where in the second half of the game, I won't spoil, but like the after the first part happens, anyone who's played it knows exactly what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah. Like the second mm-hmm. part, um, I turned the difficulty to easy and was just like, I'm just going to run through everything because I just don't feel like doing this anymore. Like the encounters were so repetitive, especially the zombie encounters where I really just did not give a shit about what I was doing or like who needs to stab more zombies and sneak around and fight more clickers? It just got so boring. The tension was all gone. Um, Obviously, there's no tension when I'm playing on easy, but like even before then, I just had no interest in it anymore. So I, I think the story is really interesting and I'm glad that they made this like stab at uh, ambitious stab at like saying something and doing some interesting stuff and the perspective changes are really fascinating to me and I was totally hooked by a lot of that stuff and obviously this game is incredible looking and like the production values are out of this world and it's just a treat to like watch and explore and um, I loved some of the quieter moments like the the museum and the aquarium and there's a lot of cool stuff in there a lot of great character moments and interactions seeing that stadium for the first time just like walking up to it and like seeing what they had done with it all was awesome but um but in the end i mean i just don't really think i liked it and i think that's mostly because it was so long like i think mm-hmm. the story would have just been a lot more interesting to me and and we'll get into on the beans cast when we can actually spoil the story we can talk a little bit more sure. about like what it means and what the developers were trying to say what the writers were trying to say but like as far as the game itself and just the experience of playing it because it took so friggin' long, I just and it just felt so friggin' padded. And by the end of like the first half, I was like, okay, I'm ready for this to be over. And then there was just an entire yeah. second half to it all. And it just, I think a large part of that is the pacing and that like you set off to play a game and you have a, a specific goal in mind where it's like, okay, I'm going to get revenge on this person for doing this thing. And then mm-hmm. you get to that point, and then there's a whole nother half of the game left. And right, right, right. Yeah, man, it's just rough to play. <laughs> yeah, it. Um, yeah. a thing that I've noticed, I've been playing a little bit on New Game Plus, partly to talk about it more with you guys to replay mm-hmm. the beginning part. 
just because I thought that'd be interesting. Now that once I'd finished it, I right. do really think the difficulty settings in this game are pretty incredible. Like oh, I've yeah. been tweaking them a lot, and just you mentioning playing it on easy made me think of this. It's so cool the way that it works. I wish more games had this type of um, fine tunable. I hope they do. I want this yeah. to start a trend where mm-hmm. games difficulty settings are more like change the game to be the kind of game you want it to right. be as yeah. opposed to just one difficulty setting. Because like is... I do like playing it or I, I like playing it on the harder settings. Like I think it, it works pretty well but there are things about it that I don't like as much. It's pretty punishing. So I found that this nice balance because to explain to people who haven't played this game you can adjust like how much damage enemies do or how yes. easily they spot you or how much you know like your teammate AI teammates like how helpful they are or yes. how often you find materials and I found that a really nice difficulty is actually playing on normal but with much rarer scavenging materials because then you're like really at the edges of your inventory in every fight and it feels much more fraught because it's pretty tough even on normal and I really like that about it like I think that that feature it's like one of a lot of accessibility features in this game that are pretty mm-hmm. incredible so yeah. like you said I mean narrative stuff is its own thing but the production and the way that it was made, it was made with so much care on so many levels. Mm. That's pretty cool. Yeah. As so, cool. so as far as the story, just kind of like broad thoughts. Um, Ellie's motivations made no sense to me, and reading criticism afterwards helped me feel less alone about that because the entire yeah. time I was wondering, like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. I mean, probably Ellie, my biggest complaint, especially playing it again yeah. on New Game Plus, it's even clearer to me that that's a problem that I have with yeah. it. Rob Zachney yeah. on Vice, if you're interested in like reading a spoiler take, had a really good take on this that helped kind of crystallize a lot of my thoughts. Yeah, we should link like, that. Yeah, same. I like to. Yeah, story which we will we'll put that in the show notes. I really enjoyed that piece because uh, it just, yeah, it, it helped it helped elucidate a lot what I was thinking anyway. Um, but yeah, it just, a lot of it bugged me. A lot of the game bugged me. And I think that the length really ruined everything. But, but yeah, a, a lot <laughs> of that stuff bugged me too. And there is a lot I liked about it. Um, by the end, I did wind up liking Abby. Um, I think it's yeah, same. a really, I, I think in terms of like the actual dialogue, it's really well written and interesting and keeps you captivated. Laura Bailey is just, Great. She does a great yeah, job. A lot of the performances are really the great. The acting is very good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, yeah, I've said all these things before and I'm about <laughs> to say them again on the Beanscast, but yeah. the, the moment to moment dialogue in the game is so great that it mm-hmm. makes me so much sadder that the overarching structure of the game does not make any sense to me yeah because like if you isolate individual moments of the game i'm 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 enjoying them in Mm -hmm. a vacuum but if you put them together in the order that they're in the pacing does not work and the overall story does not work and that is sad so so here's a radical idea i'm gonna end on a radical (laughs) idea i was just texting with i was just texting with a friend about the game and i was like i finished it here are my thoughts and um we both agreed on a radical suggestion which is that this game would have been better the last of us part two would have been better with no zombie fights at all and Hmm. like like kept you keep the zombie setting because it's important to the story for this to be a post-apocalyptic world or or whatever but like no Hmm. no zombie encounters would have been such a better game it would have still hit the points that they were going for with all the killing and violence I and mean, blah, blah, blah. arguably, but I, I feel like that's one of my complaints, though, is that this is a game set in a zombie apocalypse that seems thoroughly disinterested in the fact that it's set 
post-zombie apocalypse. But that's... Exactly. That's why it shouldn't have been there. It should have just been part of the backdrop. Like, why not just needs- make a different game then at that point? Like, why even why even make it a Last of Us game? Yeah, like, just, say, like, just make it a Western. Because <laughs> it's a sequel to the first game. Well, yeah. in the first game, the zombies were really important for a lot of reasons. But, like, <laughs> if this is the whole point of this game is continuing off the final choice that Joel made at the end of The Last this of is, Us 1. It's a very spicy take. I would need a little longer to think about that okay. extremely spicy take to know whether I actually think that would yeah, work. Yeah, I think I enjoyed the combat a little bit more than you did, Jason. Yeah. Like I like I, it a which, lot. Which is very subjective. Yeah, I really did not enjoy it. I, I sure. actually enjoyed fighting the zombies, and for me, yeah. that was almost like a reprieve from some of the emotional... Like, <laughs> Brutally <turmoil>. murdering people. <laughs> <laughs> Where I was like, God, I don't want to have to keep That's killing That's so funny. For humans. me, it was the opposite. I was so... God, and mm. every time Ellie dies, like having to watch her get ripped know, apart like in some gruesome way, yeah. it's just so unpleasant to play. I found all the zombies are just super unpleasant. Um, at least with the mm. people, <laughs> this is kind of... <laughs> awful for me to say but at least with the people I feel I, like I know what time, you're gonna say it every I time want you to really think twice about saying it every time no what am I well I was gonna say every time you killed one of them they would shout their names and I thought that was hilarious and not sad <laughs> at all so that's what I was gonna say what, what did you think I was gonna say something like that oh okay yeah I basically just, I preferred killing the human beings <laughs> well with the humans, like it was, I preferred it was, killing the dogs. That was what I really. Loved. I liked it when they screamed out well, in pain when I killed them. It was more that. <laughs> I know what you're saying. I mean, I'm giving you shit. Actually, I know what you're we saying. Get it, we with, get it. I'm playing Ghost of Tsushima right now, and I actually I keep thinking about how awful it is that I'm just slaughtering these humans, and that's a yeah, whole other yeah. point. We can talk about mm-hmm. the violence in games another time, the brutal slaughtering of humans another time. But just in all seriousness, like them screaming out the names became such a punchline for me because it was so repetitive and got to the point where it's funny for me that it actually made yeah. it disassociate. brighter, like breezier than the zombie Yeah, film. I get that. I mean, it wasn't that, but there were certainly other things that were so serious that I did disassociate a bit and like find them funny when I wasn't supposed to, which yeah, again, exactly. I, I would consider that a failing. Like if your exactly. game is so sad that I start like removing myself from it and finding it funny, then right, something, right. something's gone a That's little exactly wrong. That's exactly the point that I'm making. Yep. Yeah. Um, yep. Okay, so why don't we say goodbye here? Of course, we will talk more about The Last of Us Part 2. If you are a Max Fun member on Monday, you will get the Beans Cast in your Max Fun bonus subscription feed. Um, but before we say goodbye, Kirk, what else? Yeah. Well, as <laughs> listeners may or may not have forgotten since I just recently <laughs> mentioned it, it is Max Fun Drive, and that is going on. You all know the drill. You heard me talk about it already, so I'm not going to go on super long here. But we really hope that you will consider becoming a member during Max Fun Drive. We really appreciate it. Everyone at Max Fun really appreciates it. And you can find out more at maximumfun.org/join. Plus, you'll get a Beans Cast every month. Yeah, that's come true. On. You get a Beans Cast every month, and you can, uh, in honor of Max Fun Drive, come to our stream on Friday. Yeah, yes, come watch us play Destiny. Info's in the show notes. We're going to play Destiny. It's going to be fun. Uh, pop into chat, ask us a question. We'll just be kind of hanging out, and it'll be a good time for all of us while we deal with social isolation to hang out with one another. So we'll cool. see you all then. Yay. See you Friday. Yeah, see you Friday. Bye. Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll head over to MaximumFun.org join and consider becoming a member. Doing so helps support us and gets you access to an exclusive Triple Click episode each month. Find us online at TripleClickPodcast.com, on Twitter at TripleClickPod, and send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org. Thanks for listening. See you next time.
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.